Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Nikki Tudge, and I'm here with the delightful Dr. Mark Beckoff. Hello, Mark. Say hello to everybody. He's, I'm in sunny Florida, and Mark's up in Colorado. And we are here today to talk about Dogs Demystified, an A to Z guide to all things canine, which is Mark's newest book. Before we do that, um, we do have some continued education <laughs> units for this event. So I'm going to give a word out now. The first word is demystified. So you'll need to submit that on the form. The, we are recording this and you will get a copy of the recording within 72 hours. And that will also give you the form for CEUs as well. <clears throat> so without further ado, Mark, welcome. It seems like it's been years since we've had you on. I think it's at least three or four years since you and I last did this. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out, but anything that's older than a, a year is, is history. <laughs> well, it was definitely pre-COVID, so it's definitely at least three years ago. And I, I actually think it was to do with um, the shock, our shock collar coalition. Yes. So I think, yeah, so that's a long time ago, right? Uh, yeah, long, long ago. many, many, many moons. So yeah. yeah, no, I'm glad to be here and thank everybody who's here who I can't see. Yeah, lovely. All right, so the new book. Tell us about the new book. Tell us why you wrote it and what it what it's all about. There you go, Dogs Demystified. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I wrote it for a whole lot of reasons. I, I, I wrote them down. And, <coughs> excuse me, um, sometimes this seems to be a logical order. I mean, I basically wrote it because I want people who decide to live with dogs or interact with dogs to become what I call fluent in dog or dog literate. You know, mm -hmm. just basic dog behavior 101. Um, it'll not only help them, it'll help their, if it helps them, it'll help their dog and it'll help them develop really um, solid relationships with the dog. Um, I wrote it to dispel myths that, in fact, I was reading something this morning and two of my when I say they're my favorite myths, they're my favorite myths, but they're my most unfavorite, if that's a word, um, statements that dogs are um, our best friends and unconditional lovers. I mean, they're neither. Um, they're not our best friends. There's a lot of dog abuse globally, and they don't love us unconditionally. And if you've ever rescued a dog or lived with a dog who's had a hard upbringing or, you know, was dumped by the side of the road in a box with their littermates and their mom, if if they're lucky, um, they have serious psychological damage, if you will. Yeah. And they need a lot of love, and they don't love you unconditionally. So, to make people um, fluent in dog, to dispel myths, and also because I'm trained in ethology and I've done lots of field work on. Coyotes, I've done some work on wolves, um, penguins in Antarctica, birds living around my house in the mountains of Colorado, and fishes. I wanted to really um, emphasize the importance of careful observation and description and mm -hmm. explanation, if you will. I know it all sounds scientific to people, but when I go to dog parks, it's rare when I talk to somebody or if they ask me a question, um, you know, whether or not they know what I do um that they are bored or they don't want to hear the news you know yeah. um yeah and so a lot of what i do is to turn people who are dog guardians into citizen scientists 
because they offer a lot. I was just reading through a new magazine this morning on dogs that I think is exceptional. And it covers a lot of recent research, but it's also got great stories in there. Stories are really important about animal behavior, you know, including dog behavior. Um, <clears throat> so I want people to become ethologists, if you right. will. Right, yeah. Um, and, and the other reason is just because I actually, I know I know a lot about dogs, but I always say the more I know about dogs, the more I say I don't know. Don't know, yeah. Like, you know, focusing on, so each dog is an individual and each dog human relationship is individualistic, if you will. And, you know, when I often, and I'm, and I'm not a dog trainer. You know, when I've had um, situations where I needed to either have my dog learn or unlearn something, I've called dog trainers locally and a lot of them know what I do and they'd say, you need a dog trainer. And I'll say, yeah, I have no idea how to stop my dog from doing something or to get my dog from uh, to do something that, um, that they really need to do. I mean, I lived in the mountains, so my dogs and all the dogs on the road on which I lived, I mean, they rarely had collars and were, I'd say never leashed up there. They were really well behaved, but every now and again, depending on where they came from, where I rescued them from, they um, they had their own idiosyncratic problems, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And the other reason is because people write to me and they ask me questions and I thought, well, what could be easier than laying things out alphabetically? So if mm -hmm. you want to know about yeah. butt sniffing, go to the bees. If you want to yeah. know about cash so, it's like, food, so it's like a lexicon of myths and information then, right? It's a... Yes. It's, it, it's, it yeah. is, it's a lexicon of a lot of information. The references and notes are on my, my homepage because they're about 150 pages long. And, and at first I was hesitant to do that, but I actually think it's the wave of the future. I'm sitting here with three books that are doing that. Somebody could actually be reading my book, looking at the reference section that's online, and if they want a paper, they just highlight and copy and paste the title right. or the website into yeah, yeah. the browser. So I've, I've had a lot of people thank me for doing that because when I read a book with the references at the end, I don't sit there flipping to, you know, back and forth, Yeah. Um, you know, doing that. So, I mean, that's really, those were really my reasons. It's just, I, I love when people choose to live with dogs. What I don't like about the other side of the coin is that a lot of them, and, and I stress not because they're bad people, but they don't take into account how what the responsibility, the mm -hmm. time, the money, the energy, that it's going to be a change in their daily routines. Right. I mean, I, I worked at home for decades, even when I taught at the university. I did a lot of work at home. And having a dog or two dogs and sometimes six dogs at my house who came down the road was a life changer for me. So I want people to understand that, you know, they're not getting a pet rock and they're not getting a robotic dog. They're getting a fully sentient human being. Um, and, and since I study animal emotions a lot, I like to say that it's the shared emotions between say a dog and their human or, and or other humans and, and dogs, by the way, that really, um, serve as a social glue. They really they right. really tie us together. So that's why. And 
And I'm thrilled that I have a lot of stories in there that people sent me. And since it's been available for about two months, my email box is full of more stories. And I'm thinking at you some point, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to do another book like this because, <laughs> but, but, but what I really like about it is some, you know, most of them substantiate what I wrote. A few add some nuances, like tool use, you know, I had right. examples of tool use, very, you know, a lot of them focusing on dogs using objects to pull, push toys or pull toys around or get to an object, which is, which is tool use, but also some nuances. So, so for me, because I'm fascinated by, if you will, all things dog, um, I'm really glad to keep that conversation going. Right, right, right. I, I, I find it fascinating. I wrote, a, I wrote a short blog. It must have been 15 years ago. And it just amazed. I came across it the other day and it just triggered when you said something. Because most families spend more time planning their five day vacation every year than they do getting a new dog, don't they? It's yes. And, and yet the vacation's over and done with within five days and the dog potentially could be there for, you know, between what, nine and 15 years. Um, and you know, I'm and, and and I'm not in any way well. I'm not in any way criticizing. I just think it's factual because I remember when I got my first dog, I literally picked it up from someone's house, threw it on my lap, got in the car and drove home. And my husband was looking at me like I was nuts because I didn't even have a food bowl, let alone anything else. And that's from someone that I consider, you know, quite well educated. So it, it, it's fascinating to me. And, and why do you think that is? Do you think it's because? There's such a huge part of our life now that people sort of accept that they can get a dog and it will just integrate almost by osmosis. Or do you think people mm -hmm. don't think about the consequences? Why, why do you think that is? Why do people do that? Well, what I've been told by people who have done it and realized <clears throat> that they've made a mistake is they've believed that, um, among the beliefs, I'd say, is that dogs will unconditionally love them. Right. So this says a lot. I mean, I yeah. really mean it. it says a lot about the people, or maybe even more about the people than the dog. And they'll say, well, you know, they say they'll love me all the time. So if I can't give them the food they want or the attention they want or the exercise or the, or the safety or whatever you want to, whatever they need, then they'll still love me. And I'm thinking, well, that's one sided and selfish. So yeah. Yeah. And you just need to be fair to people. Yeah, I'm a pretty nice guy and I like being fair. But I'm really hard on people when I'm not hard on them as individuals, because a lot of people I know and really like should never should never live with a dog. Right. So, right. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly strong on that um, because, you know, they'll say, well, there's so many dogs who need homes. You know, there's so many fully bred dogs, which I forget about puppy mill dogs, which I forget about and dogs who need to be rescued. But 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 I do think that if you ask people to <clears throat> take seriously what it means, especially if it's their first dog, then it'll be better for them if they can't make those, if you will, sacrifices. And I don't particularly look at them as sacrifices, but they're really giving up something to take a dog in. If they decide they can't do it, you know, some people say, well, they should, they should do this. My, ask, my response is, it's like having a kid. No, if you don't think you can do it, don't do it. Right. Maybe it's another point in your life you'll be able to do it, which, of course, you know, the pandemic opened up the opportunity because so many people who left from nine to five or six in the morning till eight at night didn't get a dog because they realized they couldn't give them what they couldn't give the dog what the dog needed. 
but yeah. now that they were home, so you know, it's not news that a lot of dogs are abandoned and are having pretty happy lives, if you will, because now right. they're on their own and they got used to having their human around. I think as well, I think there's a lot of harsh judgment on people once they get a dog that by God, you've got it now, you bloody well keep it, you look after it, you take responsibility for it. But but if the dog is better served by finding it a more suitable home, then that's the best option, right? We shouldn't we shouldn't shame people into keeping a dog. I'll give you an example. I met my husband yeah. in Nigeria. We were both working there. And when I met him, he had a German Shepherd dog that, his, that he'd taken as a Nigerian police dog reject. And um, he actually paid to ship it back to the United States and to send it to his parents who lived on a Christmas tree farm in Oregon. Because he realized two months after he got it, he was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> I worked 14 hours a day. I, I can't even go home to feed the dog. He had this grandeur illusion that he was going to be putting the dog on a Boeing 747 and flying on vacation with it. I mean, it was, it was almost like the Disney scenario, yeah? Um, yeah. And, and this is an educated person. And, and I see people do this all the time. They, they have this image that this, uh, you know, dogs are used so much in marketing and advertising that we think if we have a dog, it, com it completes our adorable 2.2 family in our little suburb. We don't think about the realities of how that dog is going to impact our lives. And more importantly for me, what the dog needs from us, because they do, I mean, they have so many needs and not just physical needs but now we recognize all the emotional needs mm -hmm. and the enrichment needs and everything else that they need for their lives so um i mean i, I do think and i don't know what you think i mean from, from from your book perspective is there anything in there about how you think that dogs are sort of over glorified in terms of being low mm -hmm. maintenance through television and cartoons and that that type mm -hmm. of thing do you think that yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting that you said that, because um, among the myths that I like to dispel, I mean, the one that would be related to what you just said is they'll love us no matter what we do with them. Right. And so people think that that's true. Yeah. And, of, and of course, when I talk to them, and I talk to them nicely because you don't get anywhere by being in someone's face, you know, you explain that you got the dog because they're sentient and you've you share their feelings uh-huh and you know you go down the whole line of things that but the result of which of course is the people realize they're living with a sentient feeling being who cares what happens to them and likely cares what happens to you yeah you know yeah. so yeah but but i do think that you know you turn on tv and you go to magazines and it's like oh if you're unhappy get a dog, get a dog. yeah no no if you're unhappy don't get a dog until you're happy. I, I mean, I really, I really feel that way, you know, and yes, there are dogs who need homes, but yeah, you know, if you can't give them what they need, then, then you're basically, you know, just adding mm -hmm. fuel to the fire. Right, right. Because you, know, you get a dog, you may have to rehome them and then somebody gets them and don't like them and they're rehoming and, and and what you just said is it better for a dog to be in a really warm loving home than a home where they get nothing it is but i do think that the, the end of the rope comes sometime when the dog is sitting around thinking what's going on here you know i lived with mary then with harry then with jack and then with sheila and now i'm in a new home and 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 it's unsettling as it is to human beings Right. Um, well, it's, it's interesting you say that because Dr. Lisa Gunter did some research through um, 
I think it was the Arizona Humane Society, where they actually tested cortisol levels through saliva of dogs that were going out for canine slumber parties. Are you familiar with that research? Yeah, I'm assuming, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I spoke to Lisa when she was actually doing that research because we were both at Best Friends. And I, and I said, honestly, Lisa, I just, I, I can't buy that. I just don't buy it. You're going to have to show me the data. And the data's there, right? Because if somebody had said to me that we have dogs in shelters and twice a week we can send them to different homes just for a 24-hour slumber party, as an exec director of a humane society 15 years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. We're not going to create all this displacement going in, coming out. We'll wait for the right home. But actually, the data shows the absolute opposite. It shows that on those visits, not all dogs, because obviously some dogs are different, that most dogs actually had reduction in stress levels as a result of that. And I think that did change my perspective somewhat on rehoming dogs if it's done strategically and carefully because I would guess some dogs like some kids bounce around better than others, right? Yeah, but I, I can't re remember whether, I, I'm not sure I had to word it, but yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed going out and I really enjoy coming home. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not sure I, in, but you know, what happens when the dog comes home after Maybe after party number, you know, doggy party number two, they come home and they're feeling good. But right. I just wonder if it's unsettling the more they do that, you know. Um, and and I, I had a friend who actually once told me that because of their jobs, they they and and it was expensive. They had they had dog sitters, they had dog walkers, and then they found a local, not in Boulder, but they found a local, you know, basically a dog bed and breakfast. And the dogs really got pampered there, which is great because I don't believe you can spoil the dogs. But after a while, it looked like the dog did not want to go all the time, you know, leave home. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's because of knowing the people, they had a, the dog had a really good life at home and it was still a bit unsettling. But I got to say that given the option of leaving a dog at home crated or locked in a little house all day or going to see their buddies, you know, at a nice mm -hmm. bed and breakfast or, you know, playground, yeah. I would, choo I would choose the latter, you yeah. know. Um, and I, I think what it boils down to is knowing the dog, isn't it? And understanding what the dog prefers to do because, um, mm -hmm. because they are, I mean, they're unique individual personalities, aren't they? They're like humans. They're not, they're not all the same. They don't all need and want the same things. Yeah. And that's the, that's another big message throughout the book is, like I said before, dogs are individuals with individual personalities. And the other myth is, you know, because I've had people say this who have brains. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and they'll say, well, I've read that dogs are like Zen animals. They live in the present. What do you think? And I'll go, God, that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, they don't live in the present. They, If they've had bad upbringings or they get accustomed to something, you know, they that affects their disposition. And and of course they make plans for the future or realize they may not have a watch or an iPhone, but mm -hmm. you know, just watch your dog around the house when you, I mean, you know, when you go to the front door, they, they're there sitting, they know it's a walk. Right. And yeah. I, and I, I mean, I, you know, cause I worked at home and I've lived with a wide variety of dogs with different personalities and different backgrounds. I learned from them. And one of my dogs, I, there was something I must've done not at a particular hour, but they'd be sleeping at my feet or across my office. 
and I don't know, maybe it was I yawned and maybe I just did, you know, moved my shoulders or something. And they were there knowing they were getting a walk, which was coming. So they, they made that association, if you yeah. will. And they back trained all those cues, right? Mark moved in yeah. the most subtle way. Yeah. Yeah. And every time he does that, I get to go outside and pee <laughs> or something like that. And, no, seriously. So yeah. that was a great learning experiment for me. But, but you know, you know, I think what you just said and what I was just saying about individual differences is really critical because I had some dogs who loved um, when I I traveled a lot. I, there was a great B, doggy B and B um, in Boulder that was actually run by some of my former students who were not only dog certified because I could never certify them to be dog trainers, but they took courses in animal behavior. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, most of them loved going there. They were pampered. They played. They got. They were totally spoiled, which I loved. But I had one or two dogs, and and one of my neighbor's dogs who didn't like it. It wasn't because the place was bad. It was something, and I have no idea why, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, something was going on. So uh, they asked me what to do, and I, on occasion, I say they can stay at my house. You know, if yeah. I'm going to be home, I had an outdoor run, and it wasn't bad. Or I said, you know, find somebody to stay at your house. You know, um, the point being that once again, what worked for Joe didn't work for Harry and what worked for Mary didn't work for Karen. And and that's another really important message. Absolutely. I mean, I think about myself. I mean, I'm a huge introvert. I mean, given the choice, I would not really talk or chat or spend much time with people not because I don't like people but because I I find it very tiring and I certainly wouldn't want to go if I was a dog I certainly wouldn't be that dog that wanted to go to the spa or go to the dog park I'd Mm -hmm. be the dog going oh god I've got five hours of all these other dogs I just want to go home and pick up a book and lie on my rug so (laughs) and there are dogs that are the same aren't they that just don't that they want a quiet low stress Mm -hmm. minimal interaction type life I mean they're not all like Labradors that want to be bouncing off the walls and saying hello to everybody yeah I mean there in the book I write about extroverts canine extroverts and introverts yeah they are I mean I'm I'm like you I'm I'm relatively reclusive and when I'm out, I can be very highly social, but it's exhausting to me, exactly. and I don't, right. I, right. I don't rekindle energy in yeah. large groups. Yeah. And there are dogs like that too. And yeah. so, but I, you know, and I'm sure you do too. I get emails from people saying, "Oh, I read dogs are social beings. My dog doesn't seem to be, you know, doesn't do well in large, you know, large social situations. What's wrong with my dog? Right. You know, or yeah. or once again, you know." I've read somewhere that dogs are unconditional lovers or or what's with my dog? My dog needs downtime and I've read their social. What's wrong with my dog? Often I want to say if I know the people well, it's what's wrong with you, but I don't go that route. But I say nothing wrong. There are extroverts and introverts. There's loners. I had a dog who was who we rescued years ago and I have no idea what caused her to just literally on the, you know, she could be playing, sleeping, eating, having a good time, get up, walk into the bedroom, go behind the bed, big Malamute, try to get under the bed, lift the bed off the ground sometimes and go to sleep and then come out like nothing had happened, if you will. Yeah. 
Did I do that? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I do that. <laughs> my husband but, and I, we live in a six bedroom house because my husband and I are both introverts and do that regularly. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that's interesting because I say, well, there's nothing wrong with the dog. I yeah. mean, I got to know her. She, she really, she really liked me, but on the spot sometimes she'd just stand up, you know, as if I would do it and go, this is boring or I just need downtime and leave. Yeah, me time. But, yeah. Me, I, they, yeah, they need yeah. me time and loan yeah. time. But, yeah. uh, you know, but another thing about, you know, why I wrote the book and put some of the stories in there that I did was t it's not all about us. It's not all about me or you or the human being. Right. And, and what I've noticed, once again, you know, since I'm not a trainer, I don't have uh, interactions with as many people or as wide a variety of people as many trainers do that the more people came to appreciate their dog as the, as the individual who they were or are, the more they could go to dog parks and have fun when the dog just said, I don't want to play, but every other dog is playing. So yeah. their human yeah. didn't force them to yeah. play. Or the dog just says, yeah, you know, I really like to go down the road and see Harry, but I'm staying home today. Yeah. And, 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 and they'd go, you know, the, yeah, you, know, you can see the little bubble above their head saying, "What's wrong with, what's wrong with George? He doesn't want to go see Harry." Well, there's nothing wrong with George. There's a lot of times when people invite me out for dinner or to go to a party, and I say no. Right. I, I don't think there's something wrong with. There's nothing wrong with me or them. It's just I'm not in the mood to do it. So dogs have, dogs yeah. have moods that come and go yeah. just like humans do. Do you think one of the myths about dogs is is that we shouldn't ever be making sort of generalized sweeping statements about them? Because the common, the sort of common de facto that's going through all of these discussions is that we can't ever say, well, all dogs are sociable or all dogs are this or all dogs are that, because they really are a subjective one, aren't they? And they're so unique. And, yes. and, and, and do you think that, and let's talk about emotions, because I know you talk about emotions. And I know and it's so important to us. And I'm I'm so grateful that more and more people are now talking about emotions and connections and sort of bringing in some of the neuroscience to 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 the, mm -hmm. to, the dog, to the dog world at a level that sort of a you know a normal dog kind of like myself can understand it. Um, do you think do you think when we make those sort of generalized statements, do you think do you think that sort of the underlying message of that is that we don't we don't think of them as being sentient beings because we're not sort of looking at them and recognizing that they have mm -hmm. their own persona with their own emotional infrastructure yeah i mean i think a lot of times people do it not knowing or not with no ill intention mm -hmm. because it makes their life easier mm -hmm. right <laughs> you know you make these assumptions yeah. and, and and then you go on and it makes their life yeah easy but i think the the um the way I cash it out is that when you hear all these myths or there's a misunderstanding of who dogs really are, it sets up expectations. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about people getting golden retrievers because they play. Well, I know a couple of golden retrievers around town who are the least playful dogs I've ever met. So yeah. as a rule, do golden retrievers like to play? Well, I think so. I haven't met all the golden retrievers in the world, but there's nothing wrong with these dogs. Yeah. One of them, had a bad, was very ill when they were young and was sick all the time and never socialized. Mm -hmm. So slowly but surely they're coming out of their, if you will, their lack of socialization. It's it's not like they didn't want to play or didn't or didn't like to play. They had they had yeah. no idea how to play, how right. to ask the dog to play. Right. So right. I think what happens is all these general rules 
set up expectations and sadly it's the dogs who you know i always say get the short end of the stick or the leash but the dogs are the ones who who whose well-being is often put aside by otherwise good human beings right you know right. oh you know it'll be okay if i leave them for six hours i'll come home and love them what do you think and i i, I mean since i don't like to bs i say well if you come home and your dog behaves differently i don't I'm, I'm sure maybe you know it's like with a person you can you can make things right but but if you keep doing this repeatedly the dog is confused dogs have expectations too right and the little bubble in their brain might be wait a minute that human being used to do this and now they don't do it anymore or they leave me alone you know even if i'm not in a crate or something they leave me alone for a long time. I get hungry. I have to pee. I miss my friends. I miss seeing them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, where, where I'm going with that, once again, is that some dogs are more resilient than others. Some dogs are more risk-taking, are, are more yeah. of a risk-taker yeah. than others. Yeah. So you got to pay attention to your yeah. who your dog is and what they need. Right. Karen Overall told me a few years ago, she said sometimes it's a crapshoot as well because you can go to the best breeder, a breeder that's responsible and ethical and they're raising the dogs well, and you can end mm -hmm. up with a dog that has all kinds of issues. And then you can, somebody else can go into a shelter and grab a nine week old puppy that was born in the shelter with no mother and few siblings and end up with an amazing dog. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, from some of my field work on coyotes and other animals, and and this is you know i don't want this is sort of like a bumper sticker it's not like a law of nature but you know these animals have tough lives and i sometimes felt when we really knew when we could follow individual identified young coyotes for example yeah. totally wild yeah. the ones that seem to have a little more challenge uh, some more challenges in their lives we're actually more enriched and we're more resilient when they're older. I've heard that from other people. Nobody's it's hard to do those studies with any kind of in any kind of detail in the field. So, you know, it gets me back to what what I've been thinking about lately is enriching a young puppy's life can mean challenging them in positive ways, not punishing them. Positively, physically, yeah, absolutely. Physically, yeah. Yeah, cognitively, yeah. you know, make them work for food, but yeah. still feed them if they don't twirl in circles. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had some guy at a dog park show me what his dog could do. And what I really loved about it was he said, I just want you to know the dog gets fed regardless of whether they do it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I mean, I and I and I love as well. It's like with my own dogs. If I'm in the kitchen cooking and I I'm cooking something, I'm I'm always just giving them little nibbles and bits and pieces because I like to watch how they experience the textures and the flavors. And I don't think I don't think dogs should have to swing a trick just to get a bit of a cookie or a bit of something that's pleasurable. I mean, right. I don't have to spit spin in my kitchen to get a little piece of chocolate. I just go to the fridge and grab a piece of chocolate. You know, and I think sometimes we are a little bit too controlling, right? We want to control oh. everything that they do. And, and, and you know, so much of their lives are under control now. I think it's really important that we allow them to make as many choices as they can that's safe for them to do to make their world so much more enriching. Yeah, I've been writing about what I call the five C's, and I may not remember them offhand, yeah. but yeah. there's consent, 
um, choice, yeah. calmness, yeah. Um, and um, consistency. There's there's one more that'll come to me, uh, you know, come to me. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you just said, Nikki. You know, and that is sharing time with them, giving them choices, yeah. challenging. That's another C. Yeah. Um, but not challenging them so that in, so that if they don't do something, that you're going to starve them yeah. or you know, deprive them yeah. of something. Yeah. And yeah. the agency giving them the choice. And, and in fact, um, in this magazine I was reading this morning, because um, I was really appalled when years ago I read an article that said, there were two articles in a row, was all dog parks are bad, they're not, by the way, and um, don't hug a dog. And my, my response to both of those was, if your dog likes to go to a dog park and you like to go take the dog to a dog park, you know, and look at the yeah. dog park, they're not yeah. all the same. But what I loved was in an article in this magazine this morning, it was called the consent to hug kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And and that was exactly what I wrote about hugging that, you know, some dogs like it, some dogs don't, some people like it, some people don't. So if a dog doesn't like to be hugged, but, you, but you're a hugger, hug your pillow. I mean, yeah, 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 but yeah. I really mean that seriously, but I loved, the idea that this person was putting forth called the consent to hug mm -hmm. agreement. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so much of that around now and it, it really warms the cockles of my hearts because preference testing and consent testing, we're giving the, yeah. we're asking questions of our dogs and we're respecting the answers they provide for us, which is so important. I, I do wanna add though, as the president of Dog Gone Safe, it's always a really difficult balance, isn't it? Because we wanna put out education to sort of tell people, you know, don't have your child climbing all over the dog. Don't have them yep. riding it like a horse. Don't have kids just walking up to strange dogs and hugging them. So you have to go out there with these sort of blanket generalized statements. But there's always that it depends because my dogs love to be hugged. I mean, my yep. dogs will like almost wrap themselves around you for a hug. So if yep. someone told me don't hug your dogs, both myself and my dogs would be very upset by that. But, but it is difficult, isn't it? Because we're trying to educate and dispense advice, but it, but we're dealing with sentient beings that have preferences and there isn't a right or wrong. Yeah. It all depends, right? Right, and dogs have good and bad days. Like yeah. we, good, right. you know, good and bad hair or fur days. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they have nightmares, they have bad yeah. dreams, they get up in the morning. And, and I mean, I had that luxury when I've lived in the mountains. You know, I, I go outside, I get up early and my dogs knew that they could have an hour. I mean, I didn't know 60 minutes, but you know, between five and six in the morning, six and seven, it was their time. Sometimes, right. most times I'd open the door, they'd run off, sniff the butts of our neighbor dogs. And at eight o'clock, everybody would rendezvous at my house. But some mornings they went out and just ate and went to sleep. So that's what they were telling me. Yeah. And yeah. I would tell them, although, you know, I don't know that they really understood, but but I think they came to become, they learned what was going on, that they had a choice and that they had a certain amount of time, if you will. Right. But if they didn't want to walk, we didn't walk. Yeah. And that was it. And yeah. sometimes it'd be, you know, they'd go to sleep and I'd have to go out and I had a huge outdoor run that was line proof and bear proof and coyote proof. 
Mm-hmm. And every now and again, you know, sometimes on those mornings, they'd just go in and sleep and I'd go down, I'd ride my bike or run down to school or drive down to school, teach, come home, they'd still be sleeping. Sometimes I'd come home and I feel that they were pissed at me for not giving them their walk. But I think it's some way in their head. Yeah. They knew I was coming home. Um, but, you know, it was also a good marker for me if they went out and, you know, for a number of days or showed that they weren't feeling well, that a trip to the vet was needed. Mm-hmm. And on a lot of occasions, they had upset stomachs because I have no idea what they were eating on my land or some of the water flowing by. And so, you know, a number of times they got giardia or yeah. they or they yeah. ate something that was really rotten. But I always think like, and I think it's true with people, the safer people feel and the more and the, and the more they feel they have choices and agency, the happier they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think, I think dogs are too. And then people say, well, I have to set limits. Well, of course you do, but you can do it very positively. Like you don't want dogs running down the streets of Boulder or where you live in Florida because of cars. I mean, yeah. you, you've got to make their yeah, you have to manage them for safety. All right. I mean, otherwise they, their longevity would be very short. Well, they wouldn't have any. Yeah. They no. No, exactly. And so I just think that the more choice and freedom um, and consent you give to the dogs in a very calm atmosphere, the happier they are. But, you know, a lot of people get dogs without even realizing that they're kind of, you know, surrogates for control. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Other than other than um, these sort of generalized statements that people make about dogs and the fact that dogs love us unconditionally, what do you think are the top five myths that you address in the book that you would like everybody to know about dogs? Um, well, one is that there's no such, that dogs should only get dog food, not human food. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My dogs lived on, they loved bean and be, bean and rice burritos and they loved local bagels with peanut butter. Right. They all lived healthy long lives because I yeah. believe they felt safe and had good nutrition and exercise. Yeah. Um, another, well, one that I always fight with, um, that would not fight with, but deal with is that dogs don't feel guilt. And the reason I mention that is Alexandra Horowitz, who's a very well-known dog researcher, right. showed showed you know with a dozen or so dogs that we're not good at reading guilt but she never said they don't feel guilt right so we don't know that and the reason i mention that is among all the social animals i know they show guilt and it would be surprising if dogs were unique as a highly social mammal carnivore if they didn't show guilt but the reason i mention that is for years people thought dogs didn't feel jealousy and it ties into the use of neuroimaging studies. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, a study was done looking at jealousy in dogs using the same methods that I used in preverbal children. And the dogs behaved just like the preverbal ch- children for whom nobody hesitated to say they felt jealousy. Yeah. A couple of years ago, a study was done using neuroimaging that set up a situation that after a dog got used to the MRI machine, mm-hmm. they set up a situation where they could, I'm cutting through the chase, but see another dog getting food, which would make dogs jealous. Yeah. 
And the same part of the dog's brain in the amygdala lit up as lights up in humans when humans say, I'm feeling jealousy. Right. So yeah. It would be shocking if dogs were unique among social mammals. Right, right. Including the great apes, if they didn't I, feel I was jealousy. just going to say, didn't they do some research on gorillas or chimpanzees? Yeah. And somebody was feeding one like a blueberry and, so, and feeding another one some boring food. And one of them got really quite upset about this. And tried yeah. to, and, right. I mean, that, that that's envy, isn't it? I mean, it's. Well, it's it, some of those studies come under the academic heading of inequity aversion. Right. <laughs> so yeah. We're, in, we're yeah. averse to inequity. But yeah, it really comes down to, damn it, I want what you have. Right. And and the yeah. reason I the only reason I mention that is so I would have to say right now, I would bet your home maybe not mine but i I would you know that dogs feel guilt and we'll learn about that but the reason i say that is simply because the more i like i say the more i know the more i say i don't know it would be it would be really unique for dogs as social carnivores social mammals not to have and feel the same emotions that other social and social living animals have right Um, but but there's there's so other myth is um I mentioned dogs live in the present. It's a myth. Dogs don't like to be hugged. Oh, sleeping in bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So if your dog likes to sleep in a bedroom or in your bed and you like it, let him sleep in your bed. But there was an article in the New York Times that said that they can understand why some people wouldn't want older young dogs sleeping in their bedroom because they could be noisy or you know or a bother. I so I wrote an article saying once again if your dog likes it and you like it let him do it but I had some really really heartfelt emails from people who said the only way they knew that their puppy was ill or their older dog was going into having sundowners or some kind of dementia was because they slept in the bedroom and alerted them right and in some cases it was life-threatening yeah. You know, so so that's another myth. And I don't know, maybe people are cleanliness freaks, but my dogs were pretty yeah. clean. I, well, I, yeah, sure. I think it's interesting because I think I think a lot of dog trainers will tell you if if asked that when when you first meet with a client and you sort of say, well, of course, your dog can sleep in the bedroom because the, the client will look at you and say, well, I'm really sorry. And I know you're probably not going to like this, but the dog sleeps on the bed. And it's like my, I have two dogs on my bed. I have no problem with dogs being on a bed unless you can't get them off the bed and they're growling at you. Then there's a bit of a problem. Clients, that that you suddenly see this like massive sigh of relief that it's okay to allow their dogs to do this kind of stuff. I mean, like why why do they need permission to do that? It's their home, it's their dog, and yet they feel (laughs) that they're going to be judged for it. Well, once again, my dogs could sleep where they wanted. And I knew with one of my dogs, as my last dog, Jethro, as he got older, he couldn't walk steps. I bought him a waterbed. He tried to come up the steps. He had no trouble walking up, coming down steps. And one night I got home and he went right to his, from his, you know, his nightly walk, which was really a nice walk through the mountains. He went right to his waterbed. And I thought, that's where he wants to be. I didn't even try to coax him to come up the steps because while he could still walk up steps, it was hard for him to go down steps. Right. Right. So he slept there and you know, it was, it was pee and poop proof. He was becoming incontinent. 
And but his state of mind was so good because I felt he said, oh, Mark, it's letting me sleep where I want. I can't come down the steps. He cleans up after me. I still get to go outside. Yeah. My dog buddies, but one big message here, the other C word I was thinking of is context. And the reason I mentioned that is because once again, people will say, well, my dog barks too much. And I'll go, what do you think? And I'll say, I don't think bark, dogs bark too much. They bark because something's bothering them. They may be barking too much for you. Right. But when I mentioned this, barking, growling, humping, mounting whatever you want to call it is so context specific snarling so it's among the reasons i wrote the book was to once again say once you become an ethologist and you know and you've developed what we call an ethogram for you know studying dogs and the behaviors they perform you've got to look at context because a play bow when the dog bows and does that you know crouching and all that it's usually in play, but it doesn't always mm-hmm. occur in play. Right. It can occur right. in courtship. It can occur. Um, one one dog I had started doing it a lot because they had a sore shoulder and it was a stretching movement. Interesting. You know, so so physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah. No. It no. Exactly. It alerted me. Um, but you know, there's. These all or none generalizations just don't work. Right. Is it bad for yeah. dogs to run down Fifth Avenue in New York? Yeah, I yeah. would say so because of cars, yeah. Yeah. maybe all the crazy yeah. people. So there's definitely some very mm. prescriptive rules of thumb. Mm. But other than that, I mean, there's others too. No, it's not bad if dogs want to hump or mount or sniff something. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be. It's dog appropriate, and the people to whom it's directed have to be okay with it. Right. And if you don't yeah. want your dog doing it, it's understandable, but yeah. don't punish them for being a dog. You know, the, well, I mean, I, I, with all these sort of behaviors, especially with sort of whining and barking, I mean, we should be asking, what can we do if we don't want the barking and whining? Um, yeah. The, the dog clearly has an emotional need there that we're not fulfilling because they're trying to communicate something, right? So yeah. we. We need to be better at providing for our dogs. I mean, but ultimately, if you don't like dogs barking, you should get cats, right? I mean, if you don't want a dog that barks, why, why put, why have one in your house? Right. No, right. And you know, in the book, I've got you know some entries on debarking, which of course I'm totally against. But yeah, but, yeah. but right. And so, but you know, what you just said is really true too. Is well, where do you live? So, are you going to get a breed or a mix that may have some kind of inclination to bark a lot. Right. If, yeah. if when I lived in the mountains, the dogs could bark as much as they want. They wouldn't be right. bothering anybody but me or maybe my neighbors who they weren't yeah. barking at but barking. But but the point is you're you're right. I mean assess where you're living. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know I had somebody not a couple of years ago at a dog park, I gave them a little checklist and they decided not to get a dog. They were living in a condo. They were going to build a house or move into the mountains in a few years. Mm-hmm. They said, what do you think? And I said, if you can wait, wait. Yeah. I said, you're, you're describing an ex- you're describing like a jail cell for your dog for three right. years. Right. And, 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 and 
they didn't take that wrongly. They, I just said, you know, you both leave for work. Sometimes you work at home. Sometimes you, sometimes you're out at night. Sometimes you go out early in the morning. Some days you're not going to be able to get your dog to the dog park, but that the dog loved yeah. Yeah. and yeah. stuff. So they waited. They moved. They got a dog, and and their Perfect. all yeah. their lives were very pretty. Yeah. No, they really are, and they thanked me for it. But but at first it was like, well. You're saying not to get a dog, but we want one. And I said, yeah, you want one. But if I were your dog, I wouldn't want to be living right. in a two-bedroom apartment yeah. where they're going to be either locked in the bathroom, gated in the yeah. kitchen, or put in a crate yeah. six to eight hours a day. Simple. Yeah. 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 And, and I think there's another side to that. And, and I don't know if you address this in the book. Um, is you know I, I many years ago I was an exec director at the Humane Society and when I first got there the, the the global adoption policy was we don't adopt to anyone living in an apartment and and there was a gentleman came in one day to adopt a border collie that was at the shelter and this border collie had been there about six months and as soon as he said the dog he wanted I saw everyone at the front desk just went no and I was like hang on a minute let's just stop a minute I knew this individual this individual was an ultra marathon runner who ran twice a day, every day of the year, had always had a dog, worked at home, and when he wasn't working at home, was self-employed and was in his truck with his dog. And he ended up adopting this Border Collie, and this Border Collie had an amazing life because it was trained to run. It ran six miles in the morning, six miles in the evening, went out to work with him. So I think we have to also be really careful about some of the sort of sweeping statements we make about dogs and the lifestyle, because there isn't a one size fits all, is there? And it just seems to me that there's a lot of dogs in shelters that could find homes if we looked at adoption more as a one-to-one. What is the family providing? What does the dog need? And is this a good match? Rather than having all these non-negotiables, if you haven't got a fence, if you haven't got a yard, if you don't live at home, if you live in, I mean, I, I don't want to do too much talking because we're here to listen to you, but I remember about five years ago, a very esteemed dog trainer put a questionnaire on Facebook with about 40 questions and said, is there anybody on Facebook that can answer yes to all of these? And I could have answered yes to all of them, except the first one, which said, does your front gate lock? And we were living on 25 acres in Tampa and our front gate didn't lock, but we could answer yes to all of them. And she said, you would not be allowed to adopt a dog from this shelter. Because that was their list of you have to tick check the yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I, one example I may have written about it in here. Um, well, two examples was one involving a border collie who somebody wanted to um, rescue and probably well foster and probably then you know adopt. Yeah. Yeah. living in a, a small apartment in midtown manhattan and they had a choice of other dogs and i and i just was honest to say yeah. given your lifestyle yeah. you know i said taking your dog to central park every morning to run to their heart's content it, it's not going to give a border collie enough and then you're going to be leave you, you leave them but yeah. you know and somebody who I think wanted to get a husky, a big, a big long-haired husky in Phoenix, where you know right now it's been 120 over. Yeah. A month. Yeah. But, but I mean that to me is just common sense. Right. But I, I agree with you. I'm not a rules motivated person that way, because there could be exceptions. Yeah. So, so I do know people who have lived in cities, 
but their jobs took them out into the country and they could take their dogs. Yeah. So they were assessing real estate, for example, or doing yeah. outdoor work. And when I was having some work done in my house, a guy lived in Denver, so he was driving up 45 minutes and home 45 minutes a day with a wired, some kind of, if you will, um, border collie mix. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The, the guy worked 10 hour days and his dog was free up at my house to play with my dogs and go up and down the road. So if it said, if the if the check sheet said if you live in Denver in an apartment you can't you know right, adopt right. Rex the right. border collie that would have been the dumbest thing in the world because yeah. Rex would get home and I'd, I'd ask Charlie the guy how's Rex said he gets home and sleeps through the night and about six in the morning when I'm getting ready to leave he eats and he's at the door I open the door <laughs> and into the, the, the seat of my truck. Yeah. So no, I, I agree yeah. with you that there's obvious rules, if you will, or regulations or guidelines. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, I mean that just gets back to once again, if you're gonna make the choice, and it is a choice mm -hmm. to take a dog into your home and into right. your heart, I like to say, right. then look at who the dog is and look at who you are in terms right. of lifestyle, what they'll need, yeah. and then make and make the decision yeah. make the decision. Yeah. yeah. Do you talk at all in the book, Mark, about the differences sort of in, interbreed as well as intrabreed? Because some of the some of the variations within breeds are actually greater than some of the variations yeah. across breeds. I mean, I yeah. I trained Labradors that are your typical Goober Labrador, and I will say honestly, if all Labradors were like that, I wouldn't have a Labrador because I'm a Terrier border border collie Aussie person. Um, but I've also worked with Labradors that have more drive than Border Collies. And, you, and they end up in these families that think they're getting the sort of big blockhead English Labrador that's going to need a 10 minute walk every day. And they end up with a dog that needs three hours of exercise. Yeah, um, I do. In fact, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because part of my early research was looking at within and between species differences comparing wolves, coyotes, and dogs. So I do write a lot about what, you know, the, the jargon yeah. is inter, between species, and intra, within yeah. species. Within, yeah. And I stress that you can have as large or larger within species differences yeah. as between species. And that's why I argue that we need, I, I wrote an article called Don't Judge a Dog, Don't, don't Judge a Dog by Its Cover, meaning, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a dog or choose a dog because of breed. Yeah, I mean, as an evolutionary biologist, it's simple. Evolutionary trajectories impose what we call predispositions and limitations, mm -hmm. but it's not written in stone. Right. So the bottom line is, do different breeds have different tendencies to behave in different ways? Yeah, they likely do, but the differences within that species could be greater than the differences between that and another breed, if you will, of Got dogs. Yeah. And I love that point, Nikki, because mm -hmm. once again, I, and I write, about, I, I have some stories in the book saying, well, I got a dog of X breed. They're not doing what I really expected. So I'm, 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 I'm giving them up. I'm relinquishing yeah. them. What do, you, yeah. what do you think? And I, what I usually say is I'm glad I'm not your dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's this disposable. It's, it's this, yeah. I, think, I think for me, one of the 
my biggest concerns about dogs and the life they live, I think it's twofold. Number one is this instantaneous gratification that we bring a dog into our home and we expect within a month it's fully trained, and yet we're quite happy to tolerate all kinds of bad behavior from our children until they're 30. Um, and then secondly, that they're disposable, that if it doesn't meet our needs, it's not a problem. We can just find somebody else to take them and then we'll go and get another one. I, yeah. They're the two things about owning dogs that just absolutely make, infuriate me and also absolutely devastate me emotionally because I just think it's so unfair on the dogs. Yeah, I've had people say that similar things. Well, you know, I'm not happy with Joe or Mary, so I'm going to bring them back and get another dog because somebody will surely come in and give them a home. Mm-hmm. And and my response is, well, 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 wait a minute. Would you do that to a child? Mm-hmm. And then they look at, you know, some people look yeah. at me and think that I'm demented, but yeah. no, I'm not. Because what you just said, I said, you just... You just went out and got a sentient feeling being. You've mm-hmm. bonded with them. They've bonded with you. Mm-hmm. And you're not getting what you want. But maybe if they got more of what they want and need, you'll get what you want and need. Right. And, right. and I know some success stories about that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a nice guy. I don't yell at these people, but I, but I'm very, very firm, really mm-hmm. firm saying, look, you know, your lifestyle is not compatible with having any happy dog. So, you know, don't don't go yeah. get another dog because yeah, because yeah. down the down the turnpike you're going to get rid of them too because yeah. you don't you don't know what you want. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And 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 it is unfortunate. And I don't have the stats for this, so I probably shouldn't say it. But yeah, I sure. Mean, such a huge percentage of people do get dogs based on looks. It's all about looks, isn't it? I mean, they don't consider what the animal was bred for they just it's everybody has in their mind a view of what the the animal they want sitting in their kitchen at four o'clock for dinner time and that's the dog they go out and look for irregardless of whether that dog is ideal for their lifestyle even from a grooming perspective training exercise i mean they don't think about any of this right they well, I, I, but you know, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I often think that that just comes back to right-minded people who are responsible for, if you will, finding that best and forever home. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I would not want to trade places with some of these people because every time I go into a place where there are dogs, I want to bring everyone home with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just going to give out our second secret word for continued education units, which is going to be guide. So for any anyone that's looking for CEUs, the second word is guide that you will need to quote. And I'm also going to open it up. If any of you guys have got any questions for Mark, put them in the question panel and I will pose them to Mark. You've got a great brain here. Loads and loads of resources. Ask him anything about his book. Actually, it's probably fair game to ask him pretty much anything you want at this point, <laughs> anything to do with. And while, while people are pondering their questions, Mark, let me ask you, and I'm just, I'm just a nosy person. I like to get people's background story. You're obviously an ethologist, but, and you obviously study ethology across all different species. So when did you decide, or was it very early on, that dogs were going to be the animal that you just wanted to do so much work with? Well, my folks tell me that it probably happened when I was about two years old because I was born in Brooklyn, New York. And from the time I could just crawl around and and articulate something, I would always ask them, 
what the animals around, mostly cats and dogs and squirrels, yeah. Were, yeah. were thinking, thinking and feeling. Um, so I think, and I think a lot of the the attachment that I feel to dogs and other animals um, was my mother was a very empath, empathic soul. <laughs> right. I wasn't I wasn't the easiest teenage boy, by the yeah. way, but yeah. <laughs> she, she was an empathic soul. So yeah. I think it was really early on. And then um, I just um, I spent two years in an MD PhD program, and then I went and got my PhD with a man named Michael Fox. And um, and I just, I, I, I could say right off, it wasn't, I didn't really care which animals I studied. I wanted to ultimately do field work and Michael was studying wolves and coyotes and, um, and dogs. But what, what got me about dogs early on, um, even while I was, I did eight and a half years of field work on wild coyotes in Wyoming was, Dogs are visible, they're identifiable. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could do, they're, they're observable, you know, yeah. you could, I yeah. could do the kind of ethological work I, I wanted to do because I could get repeated observations, non-invasive right. yeah. Yeah. observations. Yeah. Um, and then I was fascinated how early on, I once got a verbal job offer and then somebody said, oh, you study dogs. Well, they're artificial beings. You know, they're they're we've manufactured dogs, and well, we did. But does that make them any less mammalian or you know right, members right. of you know, yeah. family carnivore yeah. and, and stuff like that? But then I realized, and and it was early on. It was I mean, we're talking decades ago that there were so many myths about dogs, and because I am interested in all issues of animal protection. Um, I realized that it was because of the misinterpretation of who dogs were or are yeah. um, and the lack of detail um, about their behavior, you know, and one of my, my, one of my earliest work on wild coyotes, um, some captive and then some wild wolves were once again within species variation. I just, you know, develop the yeah. development of these individual differences. Right. And I thought, my God, I mean, <laughs> dogs are a gold mine, you know, when the research was done and I did a lot more field work, but the dogs are all around. And so I liked going to dog parks and, you know, the message in the book, which is related to this conversation was that, you know, only a small percentage of dogs are homed dogs. A large percentage of the billion or so dogs are free-ranging or feral dogs. So as a field worker, a lot of the, some of the myths and a lot of generalities about dog behavior are misguided because they're coming from watching a, a small population of, if you will, homed yeah. dogs yeah. who don't have the, who don't yeah. have the freedom to be dogs. Right. And so those, yeah. those are, are all mixed together, if you will, in the, sort of the soup, if you will, of why I did and why yeah. I do what I do now. And I'm and I'm very much interested in studies of free-ranging dogs because I hear all the time, and dogs running free at dog parks or on trails, because I hear lab researchers say, well, dogs can't do that or don't do it. And I'm going, really? I saw it like 25 times this morning in an hour. Yeah. So, <laughs> so are, you, are you saying that there's more dogs living as feral wild dogs than there are living domestically? Well, they're all domesticated, but I know what you mean domestically. Yeah, within the home, yeah. yeah. 
people vary. Yeah. No, 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 no. People vary about this. And, you know, Jessica and I, based on a lot of research, say around 25% of the dogs in the world are what we call home dogs. The rest are free-ranging or feral. The free-ranging dogs can still be, quote, home dogs, but they're on their own during the day, or they get food and vet care. Yeah. Other people dispute that and say, well, it's probably more, it's more like half or 60% are yeah. homed. The bottom line, though, is a large number of the billion dogs in the world are on their own as feral dogs, right. literally on their own, yeah. or free yeah. ranging, meaning that for a large part of any day, they're on their own, they may get food, they yeah. may get care and still live on their own, or they go yeah. home. Yeah. And the reason I say that is that these dogs have a lot more freedoms to be dogs. It's not a criticism of the home dogs. What it is a criticism of is lab studies, and I wanna stress here, the science could be great, but lab studies who study with a handful of dogs or wolves, you know, when people want to make those comparisons are studied, and then people come up with these grand theories of domestication because dogs don't or can't do certain things. Right. My point of view, and I and I know that people who are focusing on free ranging and feral dogs, I had a student do both sorts of research years ago, are simply saying, let's not say what dogs don't or can't do. Yeah, let's right. just focus on the fact that you're studying something specified in a lab and the data may be robust, but it may not apply to a lot of dogs. That's yeah. all. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. especially especially in terms of what they can't do. That's right. what bugs me more than anything, because yeah. in, in my field work on coyotes, when we started, people were saying, well, coyotes don't do this. And within the first thousand hours of observations, we had thousands of observations of yeah. them doing something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but, no, no, yeah. that's fine. I mean, I, I spent 20 years living in Africa and I'm across Nigeria and Egypt and Jordan and a few other countries. And it used I used to get really upset when I saw all the feral dogs there because they never looked in particularly good condition. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until actually last year when I went to Quito, I went to do a hike in the Amazon and we went to Quito for a few days and when I got there I said to my husband god I feel like I've been transported back to Cairo because <laughs> there were just dogs everywhere living on the streets I mean just and I spent ages videoing them and just sta standing and watching the way they interacted together and I spoke to people who said no no nobody owns them they just live here you know and just do whatever they want and having sort of lived in Africa and seen that and then come back to the States and, and seen dogs living here and then gone back to Quito. I thought, you know what, actually, probably if you were to survey all these dogs, I think that many dogs given the choice would live like the feral dogs and not live because they do have a much more enriching life and they have more activity and more exercise and more freedom and more control. And, and I think, my opinion is that I think a lot of dogs have a pretty bad rap the way they live because mm -hmm. they're, either, they're chained or they're crated all day. They don't get any human interaction. So I think we have to be careful in the Western world that we don't look at those situations and judge them. And we do, don't we? We sort of look at third world countries and go, oh, look at the way they treat their animals. Look at the dogs. But many of those dogs, given the choice, probably would choose to stay in those environments. And yet we are dead set on, in many cases, putting them on planes and bringing them over to here and to Europe. <laughs> give them homes and then we yeah. wonder why for years it takes modification to try to 
to, for them to be comfortable living in our in our home environments. Yeah, there's there's actually a big debate going on among some people, um, and I'm I I fall somewhat in the middle, but somewhere in in your quartile, if you will. Yeah, there's a lot of free ranging dogs who need vet care, who don't get good nutrition, um, who have you know pretty crappy lives. But there's a lot of home dogs too, by the yeah. way, who might yeah. who might get vet care and high quality, but or, or or higher crappy dog food and have a home, you know, and a bed to live in. Yeah. But I think what you just said is really important, Nikki, because no, all these free ranging dogs are not living crappy lives and some right. would prefer being where they are. Yeah. And I've seen dogs in China, East Africa and, and India, for example. And when I was in Southern India, I would come out of my hotel. I was there for a while and I met these dogs and every morning, I'd come out and they'd run up to me and some of them were mangy. Some of them could have used like, you know, some dental work, yeah. but behaviorally they were very active, gregarious, non-aggressive. Yeah. Um, and, well, and they knew I was this, whoever I was, I was this yeah. mammal who gave them treats. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I went down to a local store, but the point I'm trying to make is, and what I agree with you totally, is that to write these dogs off as having crappy lives because yeah. they're on their own yeah. is just so wrong. Right. But just like, sure, you might have a pampered poodle in Manhattan who looks good, but behaviorally and psychologically has a happy, horrible life because they're kept right. they're kept in a pretty apartment that they don't appreciate. Yeah. They get vet care. Yeah. They get you know bad dog food because they're not allowed to eat people food, whatever that is, and they walk you know half hour a day. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you raised that. But see, once again, what I learned by watching these dogs and from my students who studied literally feral dogs who are on their own, is that these dogs are allowed to express their full, if you will, dog behavioral repertoire. To, repertoire, say, exactly. to, say, yeah. to say that dogs don't do yeah. this and to say, look, when I was in the field with Tom, I saw what they don't do in, in labs yeah. or homes. I saw it every yeah. day. <clears throat> Gives yeah. us a false picture of who dogs are, and in the end, gives us a false picture of what they need. So, for example, dogs love to chew. Chewing is a very important activity among all mammals. Mm -hmm. And Paul McGreevy, who's a very well-known vet and dog ethologist, it's a friend of mine. I've seen him. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. He's in Northern Australia now, but he was in Boulder. And last year, and in fact, I added a big entry in my book on chewing because all I had was dogs like to chew, people don't like dogs to chew, so think of a way, in a nice friendly way to stop your dog from chewing. No, you don't wanna stop dogs from chewing, it's yeah. natural behavior. But yeah. the reason I'm telling you that story is it's true. You watch wild wolves, wild coyotes, wild foxes, which I've done, and they're chewing all the time, it seems. Yeah. So the dogs are chewing your socks or your shoes or the newspaper because yeah. they need to chew, so give yeah. them an alternative. So that's a great example of an activity that's important for a dog's well-being that they're usually told not to do in your house. No, and that's like, right? Yeah. And they get punished for it. So yeah. so when when people say, well, you know, dogs don't need to chew, yeah, go watch free-ranging dogs. They're chewing all the time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah I 
you know, my, my husband had to drag me out of this square in Quito because there must have been 25 dogs in this square, all just wandering around, doing their own thing, interacting. Every now and again, one dog would go and sniff another dog and the dog would just give a little snap as if to say, get lost, not interested in you today. The next day we saw them, they were playing together and it was absolutely fascinating. It was absolutely yeah. fascinating to watch them. Yeah. And it just, it was, it was actually lovely to see them. Um, and they were well, all, and they were all wandering in and out of people's businesses to get under the in the air conditioning, and then going back out at night. I mean, yeah. and, and I'd say, "Well, are these your dogs?" And the guy said, "No, I'm not, I don't, no, no, they're not mine." You know, like completely oblivious to the fact that they were even there. Um, yeah, not, not bothered by them, but not also there to tend to them. Just very neutral. Yeah, in one location, there was a woman who every morning regularly came out. Um, I, I got to talk to her, and she was a widower, and she couldn't she couldn't live with the dog anymore. Her she had limited mobility. She loved to cook, and she'd come out with these huge cauldrons of chicken soup and chicken whatever for the dogs. And these were free ranging dogs. Some few of whom went home, but most of whom didn't. And these, I mean. If I were a dog, I'd rather have that life than a dog of, you know, living in, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to piss people yeah. off, but, you know, yeah. living somewhere where they were right. told, they're told when they can eat, what they can eat, who they can play with, when yeah. they can play with, where they can play, when they could pee, when they could poop. These well, dogs were free. I mean, think about it. And I live in an area where I have neighbors that don't have fenced in yards. They live on three, there are lots of between sort of two to five acres. And on a Sunday morning when I'm running with my two dogs, I watch dogs being taken out on a leash just to go to the bathroom. And I think these dogs are never getting off leash time. They can't even decide when they go to the toilet and where they go to the toilet. Yeah. And they're not allowed to exercise their nose. Right. You know, they're not allowed to exercise their eyes and their ears. Yeah. You know, yeah. book unleashing your dog. Jessica and yeah. I wrote about the importance of not only physical exercise but exercising your senses. You've yeah. you've got to work your senses. Yeah. So so once again, though, a big message of the book and what we're talking about is sweeping generalizations rarely work. Yeah. You know, don't don't tell me that dogs don't share food. Don't tell me that dogs don't have a theory of mind. Don't tell me that you know dogs don't know right from wrong, if you right, will. Right, you know, just because right. lab studies might not show that, go watch these dogs, watch packs of dogs, like people watch packs of wolves. And, you know, some people say, well, they're very uncontrolled. Well, the counter argument is lab studies are so over-controlled, the dog yeah. isn't allowed to express their natural behavioral repertoire. And right. I had a, a couple of very well-known researchers, primate researchers, and, and I'll, I'll say not Jane Goodall, because she's a friend of mine, and I really mean that, who say the reason the animals in their labs don't do things is because they're bored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. So you go into the field, you see chimpanzees doing things that you can't right. possibly get to have them do in captivity, because yeah. they'll go, well, this is boring. So I pick this food, I, I ring a bell, I get some food, big deal. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. But, yeah. but the same but the, but the same applies to dogs, yeah. you know, same yeah. applies because once again, and I know we're probably getting close to closing, you got to look at dogs as social mammals, social carnivores who still have a lot of wolf genes and wolf engrams in their brains. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. don't tell me that 
so-and-so found that dogs do this and wolves don't, or wolves do this and dogs don't, because people who have done different kinds of studies, and that's another big entry yeah. in my book, is don't make these generalities. Yeah. Some wolves do this, some dogs do this. Yeah. Some wolves don't do this, some dogs don't do this. But don't start making these black and white dif differentiations between dogs and wolves. Right. Wolves. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't hold. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. we're going to have to go, but I do. I have one last question for you. Yeah. I have a question that's come in from Susanna Zanders, and then I have a closing statement that I'm going to make from Daniel Antelette because I just think it's the okay. perfect way to close this. So, first of all, I'm going to ask the question, then I'm going to ask you just to hold your book up again so everyone knows what it's called and where they can buy it from. And then I'm going to close out with Dan's, um, Dan's statement. So, so, oh, sorry. So, Susanna says about chewing, what's, what do you look for? What's good and what's not good in a chew for a dog? I, you know, I'm going to hesitate on that. I mean, so my dogs would run all over. Um, my property and they would find deer bones and others. If I found them chewing on like a knuckle bone or a deer bone that could splinter, I, I, I took it away from them and I gave them something synthetic, you know, you can buy yeah. it at a pet store or something like yeah. that. I mean, once again, I hate to make generalities, but, you know, chewing on sticks that can splinter yeah. are, are bad. Chewing on you know, one of them pulled back, um, that must have been the neck of a deer who was killed on my property by a cougar. The neck bones can be soft, you know, and they can yeah. splinter. So yeah. so I used to give my, my, my some of my dogs love chewing on lacrosse balls. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I have a couple of those lying around that I picked up on from a lacrosse thing. Something like that. Um, yeah. but, but to me, when, when I noticed the dogs, because they would sleep outside around my office. They never went off. When I noticed them chewing on something that I thought was, if you will, could be dangerous, um, I would remove it and give them something, like a tennis ball. Yeah. You know, I, I must yeah. have had, I mean, I played serious tennis for years. I must have had a thousand tennis balls at my house right. that ultimately were chewed up. Yeah. But, 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 you know, if I told them, I don't want you chewing on my socks or my shoes, which I, which I, or, or I was racing bikes and they like to chew on my bike tires, right. I would always give them something as an alternative. Yeah. And I would say, I wouldn't even say, no, don't chew on that. Not that they know, they didn't know no inherently. I yeah. would just take the tube away and give them something. And 100%, yeah. I'd say 100% of the time, when I gave them something else to chew, they were fine. They just, like Paul McGreevy said, they need to chew and it was feels good on their gums. It's good for yeah. their teeth. Yeah. So, yeah, excellent. All right, yeah. hold up the book again, Mark. Let's look at this book. So the book is Dogs Demystified, the A to Z guide of all things canines. So some people on here said they've already ordered it. So great. Well done, everybody. Oh, great. You. Absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to close out by saying what Dan has said. I know Daniel Antelek, and this is so Dan, so thank you, Dan, for this. Dan says- Can I say one more thing? Sure, yeah. Sorry, Jane Goodall wrote a lovely forward because if people know her, she stresses all the time that chimpanzees aren't her favorite animal, dogs are. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. I actually, here's a little, next time you see Jane or speak to her, I actually, I gave, I say gave, 
Um, just a really quick short story here. I was managing a hotel in Abuja, Nigeria, and when I got there, they had a children's zoo set up. And in this zoo, they had three baby chimpanzees that had been given to them by hunters that had hunted the, pet, the mothers and killed them. And I very quickly got on the phone to our corporate office in London and said, this is a public relations nightmare. We've got all these primates in this kid's zoo for people to come and look at. We have to get them back into the wild. And I was given money through Hilton International to fund giving them to fauna and flora mm -hmm. and sending it down to Cameroon where Jane Goodall had her chimpanzee rehabilitation camp. Oh yeah, sure. Right, so I actually did the overland journey with two of the fauna and flora representatives to hand these chimpanzees off. And about two years later, we found out that all three of them had been successfully put back into the Cameroon rainforest. So yeah. I, I will email Jane when we're off. The other yeah. thing about the book, that's it's very touching to me is the wonderful singer Joan Baez mm -hmm. did all the original drawings for me. Oh, fabulous! And and I, I'm I'm pleased to have her in the book, but yeah. you'll see the drawings, and it's true, a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, didn't mean right. to interrupt you. No, Go ahead. Thank you. All right, so let's uh, as our closing statement, Daniel Antelek says. I want to thank Mark for bringing such humanity to the conveyance of scientific knowledge to the non-scientific population and for reminding me to be more open-minded in my own work with dogs. So oh. on behalf of all of us, thank you, Mark. Well, thank you. That touches me. I, I'm just, I work hard and I'm just trying to give yeah. them the best life possible. No, and, we, and we all appreciate you. And it's just, and it's so nice to have you on our team as that sort of expert that we can defer to to try and dispel some of these myths so that our dogs can have better lives so well, thank you so much for that thank you all, all right. lots of love to you thank all right. you you too all right everybody have a fabulous week thank you so much for joining us and mark i look forward to hopefully i'll see you next year and we'll we'll okay, get will, will yeah. you be sending me a link for this i will yes i will Great. Yeah. thanks nikki and thank you thanks. all it touched my heart no, you're very welcome. It's always a pleasure hosting you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. If you're gonna teach me, teach me false free. People can be good and kind and that's a great philosophy I can flourish, I can learn if you'll just help me Show me, guide me, be my friend and train me happy I can be the best dog I can be if you believe in me And if you're gonna teach me, teach me You're gonna teach me, teach me for